0: Hallelujah. Go ahead and give a hand clap of praise. Let's just stay right there in our worship for just another moment, if we could, for about 30 seconds. If we could just lift up the name of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah feels good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Tonight I do give honor to Pastor. I pray that he's enjoying himself and they're relaxing. As you turn your Bibles, I'm going to go to Numbers chapter 15, verse 30. Then I'm going to skip a, just a few chapters over and read another verse. I also give honor to this office tonight. It's not something that I take haphazardly or I don't take it for granted because, regardless of where I stand in my spiritual state, I recognize that this pulpit is the pure, unadulterated platform for which God is supposed to speak. And so, tonight, not only do I give honor to Pastor. But I give honor to this office and this this place and position tonight. Numbers chapter 15, verse number 30. Numbers chapter 15 and verse number 30. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of of none. And if you'll flip over to Numbers chapter 23 verses 19 through 21. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless and he hath blessed and i cannot reverse it he hath not beheld iniquity in jacob neither hath he seen perverseness in israel the lord his god is within him and the shout of a king is among them and if you could put your bibles aside and if we could go to the lord in prayer for just a moment lord i ask you to bless this God, as I attempt to be your mouthpiece, I pray that you would anoint and that you would let this word go forth just as you ordained. God, this is not mine or our will, but it's yours. And I pray for your perfect will in this service tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, let your will be done. I submit to you tonight, God. You may be seated. With the help of God tonight, I want to preach from the subject, the shout of a king. And I'm going to take a few minutes to give the back story to lead up to the scripture. Because I understand I took a very small snapshot as a scripture text tonight. And so I don't want to just drop us down in the middle of a story without understanding what's leading up to these scriptures. So, for the next 10 minutes or so, and I guarantee you, I won't be long. I suspect we'll be out of here around 8 o'clock. It's 8.35, so stay with me. But I do want to spend a few minutes laying out the backstory and the setting before I get to what I feel God has led me to preach. The children of Israel are on their journey towards the promised land in the first scripture in chapter 15. They are in the wilderness and have been in the wilderness for a couple years now. They had witnessed the plagues in Egypt. The children of Israel have watched the parting of the Red Sea. The children have witnessed the annihilation of Pharaoh's army. They had seen manna fall from heaven and they had seen a cloud by day and they had seen a pillar of fire by night and as israel moved closer to the promised land they were met with not only a natural resistance by nature itself but they began to encounter a physical resistance the story is very familiar moses by instruction of god chose 12 spies These 12 spies were tasked with infiltrating and going into Canaan land and exploring and spying and coming back with a report to determine, should we fight or should we not? And as you know, the 10 came back with a negative report and two came back with a positive report. And because of the doubt of the 10 that overcame the entire Egypt, I mean the entire Israel, I'm sorry. Because of their doubt and because of their murmuring, God was exceedingly angry with their attitude. God had made all these provisions. He had performed all these miracles. And it frustrated God and it angered Him because of Israel's lack of faith. And God was angered to the point that in verse 12, he says, I'll smite them with pestilence. I'll disinherit them. I'll make me a greater nation that's mightier and greater greater than they. Moses stepped in, reasoning with God on behalf of the people. He says, God, you've got to forgive them. He says, God, nations will say that because you weren't able to bring your people into the land that you swore to them, you decided to slay them in a wilderness. So God says, okay, Moses, but everyone over the age of 20 that murmured against me has to die. Moses relays God's message to Israel. And of course, when judgment comes, the mourning begins. The Bible says they mourned greatly. But the next morning, after hearing of God's judgment and what was going to happen to everyone over the age of 20, because of their doubt, now all of a sudden, no longer afraid of the giants that 24 hours earlier They were scared and unwilling to march forward with. Now they're ready to go up against Canaanites. And Moses warned and said, If you go, if you go, God will not be there. Your doubt has put you alone in this matter. The people of Israel ignored Moses' warning. They went up to battle anyways. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites smote Israel. And Israel, for 38 more years, remained in a wilderness. For 38 more years, God's promise and judgment had to come through. Israel, after 40 years, and I'm building to something, left the wilderness. And they're on their journey again to Moab. And along the way... They destroy the kings that rise up against them or stand in their way. Sihon, the king of the Amorites, is destroyed. Og, the king of Bashan, and his people are defeated. The Israelites there find themselves in the plains of Moab, and they pitch their tents there next to Midian. And the Moabites hearing what all God had done and how the children of Israel had just wiped through the land as they traveled and God had given them victory over neighboring kings, the Moabites are afraid. They understand. These people come with God. They come with a difference. The king of the Moabites is Balak. Balak is smarter than most kings. Balak goes to council with the elders, and he proposes a plan. Balak hires a prophet named Balaam. Balaam is a prophet of God. And Balak understood that if Israel would only fall, if I could get Israel to turn away from their God, or if I can separate their God from His people, I'll win. He knew the source of their strength and their victories was their God. He knew, I'm not a match. I'm not a match for who is backing these people. But if I can only beat them through infiltration, through a separation, if I can get a wedge brought between them and their God, then maybe I find victory. Now Balaam, Balaam is a prophet. The Bible says he was a prophet for hire. Balaam is, is a mercenary prophet. He tells Balak, after Balak summons him, Balak wants him to come and curse Israel and bless his kingdom. So, Balak says, For a house full of silver and gold, I'll come. I'll build an altar. I'll talk to God. And I'll see what he says. But he says, there's something you have to understand. I cannot do anything other than what God tells me. That's the extent I can go. In other words, he was saying, I don't have the ability to curse as much as I don't have the ability to bless. But whatever God tells me, I'll do. Balaam comes and builds an altar. Goes to the Lord. He comes back after the sacrifice. And he has a blessing for israel instead of a curse so he tells balak exactly what god and this was the latter scripture that i read it brings us to our second scripture text he says behold i have received commandment to bless and i can't reverse it lord his god is with him and the shout of a king is among them you see when you dissect this scripture the word shout In the shout of a king is among them, is not referring to an elevated voice. It's not necessarily about the decibel level that their king or them as a group of people could reach. The Hebrew word for shout in this scripture is truah, which literally translates to an alarm of war, a battle or a war cry. So, what the prophet Balaam was essentially saying to Balak, he was saying, These people, Balak, are hungry for war. There's a battle cry among these people. You do not want to awaken them. The spirit of a warring king is among these people. From the beginning, God exercised his authority through his priests and through his kings. The priest carried out God's plan. It was the priest that was anointed as the mouthpiece. They were expected to act in accordance to the purpose of God. When the kings or prophets or priests of God acted in accordance with God's will, God's people could not be stopped. We witness in Scripture where God used Moses to do many exploits. We witness in Scripture Instances where God's man gives warning to an enemy. Through God's kings, through his leaders, we watch entire races of people through the Old Testament become annihilated. The Bible is full of scene after scene of kings that heard from God and would turn to people and say, pursue. They would turn to a group of people and say, attack. They may turn to a people and say, Stop right here. It was the priest or the king's that would get the word from the Lord and reach to his people and say, Fear not. You don't have to be afraid because God is going to be with us in this matter. When God spoke, kings obeyed, and people followed. Victory was imminent. This was the formula for God's plan. God had to speak. Kings had to obey. People had to follow and victory was imminent. First Samuel chapter 30 is an example where David came to Ziglag, and the city had been burned, and his family, his wives, his children, they had been taken captive by the Amalekites. And before David done anything about warring and pursuing, he fell on his face and he said, God, what should I do? And you know the scripture, God says, pursue and you will recover all. And so David turned to 600 of his troops and said, God said, we'll recover all. And 600 troops faced out the Amalekites and everything was recovered. We're plainly shown in scripture text also, just in tonight's scripture text. Moses said, don't go up. Against the Canaanites, God has spoken and they went anyways and were sorely defeated because they lacked a blessing from their God and they lacked blessing from their king. Now when we fast forward to chapter 23, we see a people who have spent 40 years pondering their mistakes. 40 years of circling a wilderness and seeing their parents die from their doubt. We've got 40 years for them to get their head right. They're crossing the same paths. They're remembering their mistakes. And it's no surprise that when they came up against Sihon and Og and Moses gave the word and said, let's attack, that you didn't have the spirit of war rising up in a group of people that had been cooped up for 40 years saying, the last time we didn't fight, the last time we didn't listen. But I guarantee you, given opportunity, we're going to war. The children of Israel had gone from a doubt in chapter 14 to a shout in chapter 23. So tonight, with the help of God, I hope we go from a doubt to a shout. But before we can do that, there's the first thing you've got to understand. In order to go from a doubt to a shout, you've got to realize you're a king. If you would look at your, point your finger to yourself and say, I am a king. If we don't get this point across, this message is dull and bored. You have to understand you're a king. The authority God gave the Old Testament priests and the kings was just a foreshadowing of a New Testament authority given to them that truly believe if you've been to an altar of repentance, you've been buried with Christ in baptism, if you've received the Holy Ghost, you're a king setting in flesh tonight. Until we accept the fact that we are kings over our homes, if we're priests over our family, if we don't understand that, we'll continue in oppression. We'll be bound to a wilderness. We'll be walking in spiritual circles, wondering why has God not delivered 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, from wilderness to war. It begins with knowing, I'm a king. I'm a king. Revelations 1, 5 through 6. Until... Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. I can keep going. Revelation 5 and 10. And hath made us unto our God priests and kings. We can only begin acting like we're kings when we understand we are a king. A king steps in authority, a king doesn't stand in a corner, a king doesn't take a back seat. You got to understand a king doesn't run from a problem. A king doesn't hide from a problem. A king knows he can make war on a problem. I understand that not every problem we face is an attack of the devil. Sometimes it's just life. But I'm also not naive enough to ignore the scripture. When it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of darkness and against spiritual wickedness in high places, your demons need to see. Your authority. Your crisis needs a king tonight. Your children need a king tonight. Your marriage needs a king tonight. You've got a work family somewhere that needs a king tonight. Matthew says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violent, and the violent take it by force. There's a prayer list here, every service, because somebody's saying, I need your authority. Somebody's saying, if you'll just touch God for me. They're seeking power over a situation because they need a king. Now's not the time for sissy church. It's time for a church to get a war cry. You've got to walk. In victory, just being a king isn't enough. Being a king and having authority but never utilizing it is still a breakdown in God's plan. So the second thing that we've got to understand tonight. First, you've understand you're a king. Second, for a king to be effective, his voice has to be heard. You have to get a shout in your mouth. You can be given all the authority in heaven, church. But if you only acknowledge it without putting it to use, it's doing you no good. I can go to a deer stand and I can pack my rifle. And I can have the ability to bring food home. But if I'm not willing to use what I have, I'm coming home hungry. You can step up to a a plate carrying a bat. But if you're unwilling to swing that bat, your batting average is going to be zero. If you ever want to get home plate, you've got to be willing to swing the bat. You can have the knowledge that your kids are going astray. But if you're unwilling to call it with the authority of God, Your authority is wasted. Being a king and your workplace, but never exercising faith over somebody else's problem is a crisis going to waste. It wasn't enough for Jesus to step to the bow in the middle of a storm. He had to say, peace, peace. Be still. It was that authoritative voice that called nature under subjection. He had been on the boat all along. He had been there all together. It wasn't his presence there. It was his voice that changed it. It wasn't enough for Jesus to step to the tomb of Lazarus. It wasn't until Lazarus Took a breath of life in a dead body when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. It was the voice with the kingship. You've got to be willing to say, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Who's willing to let their voice be heard tonight? Who's willing to rise above the rhetoric tonight? Because we as kings better use our mouth. Because if we aren't willing to use our mouth, our enemy has a mouth. Now granted, that's all he has. But Goliath stepped out of his tent morning and evening and shouted to the children of Israel. Taunted the children of Israel. Ran his mouth towards the children of Israel we have king Saul having the authority to shut Goliath's mouth lie waiting in a tent essentially Saul was quiet while his enemy shouted when your enemy shouts louder than your willingness to fight you're turning over your kingship to your enemy when your problem seems so big that it's all you can see Or here. You need a David mindset that says, somebody shut this loud mouth up. You've got to find your will to fight and look at your problem and say the help of the Holy Ghost today, Goliath, I'm standing over your dead body. You've got to get a Joshua spirit. You've got to say with authority as for me and my house I'm sorry friend. I'm sorry boss. I'm sorry family member. As for me and mine, we're going to serve the Lord. Today we're fighting the shout of inevitableness. That's a mouthful. The shout of inevitableness. I like where that rolls off the tongue. The problem with something being inevitable is but you you feel like because it's inevitable, you can't stop it. It's the devil trying to convince us that we shouldn't fight back because what we're up against is bound to happen teenagers they're they're gonna dabble they're gonna experiment it's inevitable i done it when i was a kid we might as well just get out of their way and let them do what they're gonna do marriages these days they don't last you know one out of every two marriages fail now it was bound to happen it was inevitable we're just gonna have to live with it in the church It's inevitable. Here's the best one. You've probably heard this too. It's inevitable that things are just not going to go my way now. Because I got the Holy Ghost and I got a big old target on my back. Listen, church. When you spoke in tongues at an altar, when you believed God that He would fill you with the Holy Ghost You didn't put a target on your back. Do you think God handed you a target when you spoke in tongues and said, here, put this on your back? No. He handed you a sword of the Spirit. He handed you a shield of faith, a breastplate of righteousness, and a helmet of salvation and said, you're covered, child. Go conquer. Go be victorious. You don't have a target on your back. You are king. You've got to stand in authority. Peter tells us, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Musicians, you can come. We're familiar with the scripture. A roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Does anyone else find it a little ironic that the devil wants you to believe he's a roaring lion? Who in scripture is referred to as a lion? Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? The devil wants to present himself as the counterfeit to who God is. The lion, king of the jungle, weighing in at as much as 800 pounds, up to 9 feet in length, standing four to five feet tall, a killing machine, an apex predator. There's not an animal in the jungle, the lion fears. A ball of muscle, the embodiment of power, the lion is recognized by its roar. The roar of a lion can be heard up to five miles away. A lion typically roars before it attacks an adversary because the roar of a lion is so forceful it paralyzes and it transfixes its prey before it attacks. A lion's pride in his fam- is his family. The family is made up of a lion, lionesses, and cubs. I bring a little femininity to the pride, and the family of the lions. The lioness is a protector of the cubs. Always vigilant when it comes to her offspring. Carrying cubs sometimes by the nap of the necks. Scientists say that they cover and they carry their offspring by the nap of their neck because it prevents an adversary from catching a hold of a cub's scent, So they can't be followed. Sometimes, mama, you have to grab that little one in the difficult times. You've got to hold on to that teenager. You've got to carry them because you know, son, hell has picked up on your scent. Baby, daughter, hell is on your trail. You've got to allow me to speak with a voice of authority. You have to humble yourself. You have to respect the voice. The authority and the power mama has. Mama, you may be surprised to know the lion isn't the primary hunter. The lioness is a primary hunter. The lioness always worries about her cubs. So she ensures the provisions of meat are met through her skills as a hunter. The lion is there to protect the pride from other lions. The lion is ready to fight at the first perceived threat to his home or to his family. Sometimes a hunting mother... Or sometimes a cub attracts an adversary. And when another lion comes because he's picked up on the scent of a cub, it's time for the lion to awaken and let his roar be heard. Numbers 24 and 9 says, He couched down, he lay down as a lion. And as a great lion, who will stir him up? God wants to stir up the lion in somebody tonight. If I had continued in my scripture and finished reading the prophecy Balaam give Balak, I would have read you this scripture and I'll put it in the New International Version. The people rise up like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion. That does not rest till it devours its prey and drinks the blood of its victims. That was God's people. As I get ready for an altar call, there was a study that came out from the Institute of Strategic Studies of Military Schools about three weeks ago. It was about a 650-page report. And it outlines, you can read it for yourself, it's called the Three Warfares Doctrine. It outlines how the Chinese is attempting to infiltrate Western society instead of coming at the U.S. with guns and physical warfare which would surely awaken the fury of the world's largest military power they want to create a positive narrative of China using three approaches they're peaceful approaches the first one is psychological warfare They want to create that positive narrative of China. They want us to like them so we never want to go to war with them. You see, when we like sin, it's hard to call out sin. They're using the public opinion warfare through social media, Facebook and Twitter, through rallies They're attempting to infiltrate the minds of Americans so we are subconsciously becoming okay with communist China. They have the third prong and that is legal warfare. See, the Chinese are using action in Congress to make us and our society through laws more like China. Ultimately, the Chinese want to win a war with the U.S. without ever firing a shot. Even if it takes longer to succeed, the same as Balaam wanted to do against the children of Israel. As I come to a close, I'm going to open these altars up. I want everyone to picture something for a moment. I want you to picture this whole room, this whole setting as a theater tonight, a live theater. This platform I'm standing on is a stage. And each one of us are sitting in the audience watching our family or watching our loved ones act out the scenes of life. You're watching act. By act. Scene by scene. God wrote the script of the play. You're the director of the play. You've explained every scene to every actor that you care about. Everyone knows their place. This is the finale. This play called Life is only performed... Once. But you see a loved one in the middle of a scene begin to drift off script. You witness a spouse just get distracted in the middle of the act. You see their focus shift from the subject of the play. There's somebody. In this scene that wasn't supposed to be in this play. And it's always that one says, if I can just slide in. If I can be there before they know. If I can drive the wedge without them even knowing. And as I open up these altars, I want to know if there would be anybody... Sitting in this audience, watching your play, as your loved ones act out life, if you would be willing to stand to your feet and say, Hold on! Stop! I've got to let my voice be heard. This is not how the play is supposed to go. I'm not supposed to be broke this part of my life. I'm not supposed to be feeling oppressed. I'm not supposed to be in a depressive state. I've got to stop the show as you can stand to your feet. You've got to cut the scene. This is not how it's supposed to go. You've got to exercise your authority. Do you have enough shout in your mouth to call it what it is? See, the devil has the same agenda. He knows the only way to win with your family is to remove your desire to fight. If he can dub you down to being less than a king. If he can shut your mouth and let you listen to his roar. Church, we're fighting an exact enemy as China in the spirit. We're fighting the same enemy we fought with Balak. An attempt to infiltrate from the inside and separate us. The battle, and it's won. If we could gather around this altar for a moment.